0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mark Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 21 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are going to be looking at Justin Lin's fourth movie, Finishing the Game. The Search for a New Bruce Lee, I guess you could say. I'm yeah, just going to go with I, Finishing the Game. It has yes, a subtitle. I don't like does. the subtitle.
1: Um, I don't care either way. It's, you know, it is what it is. It feels like
0: they're just trying to explain what it is you're watching.
1: Well, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, They are because, you know, I I was saying to you uh, uh, just a short while ago, finishing the game, my initial thought was it's it's about David Fincher working with Michael Douglas. But alas, no, it's it's a mock documentary about the search for replacing Bruce Lee. Oh, well, what can you Uh. do? I would like to watch the sequel,
0: Finis- finishing the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but have it be a sequel to this movie as it exists, not about finishing yes. the Curious Case of Benjamin Button.
1: Yes, uh, but it would, and it would detail the childhoods of everybody yes. involved. Yes, yeah.
0: Anyway, this movie was directed by Justin Lin um, for, I'm guessing, probably not a lot of money. And
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd it, say it's a fair fair guess.
0: It was made in two thousand and seven. Um, so yeah, what like a year after his uh, his double bill of Annapolis and the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, uh, Lynn co-wrote it with uh, a guy named Josh Diamond, who worked with him on uh, Better Luck Tomorrow and that stuff. And uh, it w- stars a, a lot of people who we've seen. Uh, prior to this, including um, uh, Sung Kang, of course, Han yeah. Solo, not playing Han Solo, Roger no. Fan, who uh, was also in um, Better Luck Tomorrow, and then showed up again in uh, uh, Annapolis, and as well as some some fairly well known actors such as Sam Bottoms and uh, Monique Gabriella Kernan. Who was in yes. The Dark Knight?
1: Yeah, and and an obscure little uh, uh, actor named James Franco appears in it.
0: Yeah, he shows up in it, and and even you know in in sort of a, an interesting way in 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 you see him and you hear him, but you don't see him when you hear
1: him. <laughs> yeah, George Takei. Yes, which is awesome. Yeah, because his hearing his voice in that context was so. Wonderful, it actually gave me flashbacks to my childhood watching the u h f station mm-hmm. uh which inarguably is the first time I ever heard george decay's voice
0: yes yes and and m c hammer is in it too because why wouldn't he be
1: well didn't he he put up the money for um for the for the first movie for uh di- isn't he the one that that put up the money for uh for better, better luck, luck tomorrow,
0: tomorrow? I did not know that. That's really interesting. I I think
1: I think he was like like he put up like the $250,000 needed to to get it made or something like that. Interesting. And so this would be because the thing is, I mean the way this whole thing is constructed, it's I, I think it's pretty apparent like you said that it wasn't made for a lot of money. Um I mean it's definitely in terms of scale, it's a definite downshift from uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. And yeah. uh uh, obviously done just sort of for kicks and just called in a, a couple of favors with people where it's like, hey, you know, I'm just going to turn the camera on and, and let's have some fun with things.
0: Oh, yeah, here it is in an article. Five times MC Hammer changed history.
1: Yeah. Wow. Hammer's wow. a good guy, man. Terrible money manager, but a good guy. <laughs> he
0: contributed $5,000 based on Lynn's pitch.
1: Well, oh, Okay, it was 5000
0: Okay. In that case, I
1: mean, I think that that's
0: a pretty good investment.
1: If you ask me. I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make the argument that thanks to MC hammer, having a, just a little bit of faith uh, in Justin Lin, it brings us to this point where he's directing star Trek. This is true. This is true. It's pretty awesome. Pretty yeah. awesome. And he was a bad
0: boy for the Oakland athletics. Oh, I didn't know that. And that's how he got his name. MC hammer because they were like, Oh, he looks just like Hank Aaron. He's like a, a little hammer.
1: Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I never I never knew that. I, actually, I really like knowing that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, they, I don't remember them covering that on Behind the Music. So oh, they dropped I the appreci- ball. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> they focused on his downfall. It was wrong. Oh, well.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so this movie came out in 2007, and uh, yes, very, very small budget. You can tell it was a passion project for Justin Lin, and uh, yeah, you want to give us a sort of synopsis?
1: Yeah, I, although I'm not a fan of the word, um, it's a mockumentary uh, about the the supposed search to replace Bruce Lee after his death, um, so that they could finish uh, the final movie that he was working on, Game of Death. Um, and it you know follows these fictional aspirants who are you know trying to get the role, and so you learn about their their life story. And it's definitely done with a very, um, very loose sense of humor. Um, I actually, you have to be willing to laugh at a lot of things that, you know, he, he doesn't hold back. And it actually has sort of a, a curb your enthusiasm feel. Yeah, it, It's really not, it, there aren't really like a whole lot of lines that are throwing at you. You can tell that they're improv scenes where they're just like, okay, here's the framework. You have to make sure to say this and go. And so you see a lot of like sort of actor improv stuff going on.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, if someone were to compare it to a movie in terms of style and, and everything, I, I think that the the obvious comparison would be this is Spinal Tap.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or anything that, that Christopher Guest did. I mean, you know, um, A Mighty Wind, uh, you know, Best in Show. Yeah. All all of that, that sort of milieu, if you will. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, uh
0: yeah, what what did you think about finishing the game? Now, okay, before before we we do that, let me ask you this. Have you
1: seen yeah. Game of Death? Uh many many years ago. I we I grew up, my brother and I were big Bruce Lee fans growing up. Um I mean, but I think that was that was like required by law mm-hmm. <laughs> with with my age range, I was at the tail end of it. But, you know, I mean, Bruce Lee was a cultural icon. So, yeah, I mean, I at some point or other, I have seen every Bruce Lee movie, but um you know uh, game of death is not one that comes readily to mind
0: yeah i mean i've I've never seen it, I know that it's you know iconic and everything, and I mean isn't that where he was wearing his
1: yellow jumpsuit and stuff like that uh, yeah, and that you know it's um it's a shame i mean I, I think that the reason a lot of people don't revisit it is specifically because of the you know, the tragic circumstance. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it, it's really a shame because, you know, like he w he was on the verge of something. Uh, he was already a cultural icon. And I, I think that, that Bruce Lee was really on the verge of, I mean, he would have been, you know, he was crafting something and it's just, so, you know, everybody goes to like, you know, enter the dragon and stuff like that. When they revisit him, this is, you know, it's not really going to be top of your list.
0: Yeah. And I mean, they, they talk about, I mean, that's kind of the premise for the whole movie is that, you know, according to the movie, uh, and I'm assuming this is mainly true, you know, game of death was being crafted as sort of like Lee's masterpiece. Yep. And they had shot like 12 minutes of it and then he died. And Mm -hmm. then it became sort of a thing like, uh, well, like with, was it plan nine from outer space, you know, um, where, they had this footage of this, this famous actor, and you know you can say Bruce Lee's last role, whatever, but yeah. you don't have enough for an actual movie, so you got to build a movie around it. And yeah. the movie which was built around it was not the movie which he intended to make. No, not by a long shot. Right. Not by a long shot. And, but... Yet, that footage, which still exists in there, I mean, it's so iconic that, I mean, when you think of Bruce Lee, you think of him in that yellow, you know, tracksuit. I mean, that's what the bride is wearing in Kill Bill, you know? And yeah. And looking at the images from it, I mean, you can see that the set design and everything is clearly referencing this movie. And, mm. uh, yeah, and Kill Bill fits into the Star Trek continuity, by the way, so it all ties in. Of it course it does. It all ties in
1: at all yeah okay (laughs) but uh
0: but yeah this movie this documentary it's not it it does an interesting thing in i mean i guess maybe we're kind of getting into some spoilery territory but it does a good job of sort of removing itself from the historical context by saying like this was an attempt to get this movie made it's an attempt that fell through and so right. the movie which exists now is not the same as the movie which was being made in this movie here. Right, the the, the, this, this,
1: uh, this is the official story of the unofficial way that their first attempt failed. Right, and yeah. which led to the version which actually exists.
0: So you can have right. a fake director, fake, you know, everything. And... Um, you know, there you go. So so what do you what do you think about I I've never seen Game of Death. Um I honestly haven't seen much in the way of Bruce Lee at all. I know that's a huge gap on, in my man. in my Come movie on. watching whatever. Ah, It's just one of those uh, things that happens, you know? It's not yeah, like I'm but avoiding
1: you got, it. You gotta fix that though. I mean seriously. I mean like even even if you just watch him in action. Yeah. Uh like it's it it's Continually stunning, like even if you've seen it a hundred times, when you see him go through his stunts, you're just like that. That's crazy. Like I, he is so lightning fast.
0: I, I have I have seen a number of his you know action sequences and stuff like that. I, I used to work with a guy who was
1: obsessed with Bruce Lee, and he'd just be like, "Watch this, watch this," you know. So, <laughs> well, I, I can tell you too. Have you ever seen Kentucky Fried Movie? No. Okay, I'm going to preface this that anybody with. um delicate sensibilities should not watch the movie Um, because it it came out in the seventies and it's very, very funny, but you have to really be willing to, uh, to laugh. And um, there, but there's one part of it at the end of it. That's called a fistful of yen. Mm -hmm. That is, that is the best Bruce Lee spoof movie I've ever seen. It's only, it's a movie within a movie. It's like, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes long but it is hysterically funny. I mean, if you want to excise all of the stuff that may offend your sensibilities and instead watch Fistful of Yen, I strongly recommend it. Excellent, excellent. I'll have to check that out. So so what did you think about finishing the game? Uh, it was fun. I mean, it's the type of thing where if it's on late at night, um, you know, and I'm suffering from insomnia, I'm not necessarily going to skip it. I'll be like, oh, this is mildly Intriguing. And there, there are some genuine moments of real comedy to it. Um, James Franco, of course, you know, shines. And it, I mean, honestly, and Dustin Wynn from uh, from 21 Jump Street is in it. The original 21 Jump Street is in it. And he, I mean, honestly, kind of a show stealer as as Troy Poon, who had a very short-lived um, uh, it, a TV show career uh, where he had like a very, what we would consider i guess an ethnically insensitive catchphrase (laughs) and but like you know he actually does he's a he's sort of a scene stealer too but you know it's not it's not a tremendous movie but it has you know it's it's a movie that has a good heart and so you know it's enjoyable
0: it's, it's, I mean, I think that it's a decent movie. It's certainly not at the, the level of, of Lynn's other work, but um, I do like it as sort of like an aside where, you know, everything always comes back to Paul Thomas Anderson, so whatever. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, the, the in Magnolia, there's the whole thing with uh, um, John C. Riley's character as the police officer, and he's in the car, and yeah. he's doing the monologues to himself and everything like that. And that came from, uh, in between Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I guess, um, John C. Riley and Paul Thomas Anderson, who, you know, were best friends at the time and maybe still are, would, in the same way that, you know, you and I might, just goof off on the weekends and grab a video camera and say, like, let's let's do a thing yeah. where, like, you're a cop, and it will be like cops, you know, and yeah. then they would just do these goofy little the things and then, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's like, let me put this into my masterpiece. And, you know, this is the result. And I, I really kind of get the impression that and, and like Paul Thomas Anderson would do stuff like that all the time. You can find these weird random things like the uh the the couch uh short that he did with Adam Sandler. I don't know if you've okay. seen that. It's like two no. minutes long. It makes no sense at all. You know, just things like that. And and I like the idea that, you know, a filmmaker even someone at, you know, Justin Lin's stature can be like, you know what? I'm going to get my friends together who are all extremely talented people, get a few bucks and make this little thing because I think it would be funny because I had a conversation with, you know, Josh Diamond about, you know, doing a mockumentary about casting the new Bruce Lee. And you just get everyone there to just kind of play. And if if it doesn't work... I mean, no big loss because, you know, it costs like five bucks. So um, I like the idea that, you know, even if it's not a great movie, even if it's not a significant piece of his filmography, to me, we're we're getting some, like, insight into his personality as an artist, you know, and what it is that he finds intriguing or or, or whatever when it comes to, to making movies because it'll sort of you know, color the way that we see uh, his other movies. You know, it'll color the yeah. way that we see Star
1: Trek, you know, may, wh- whether it's because of his humor or whatever, you know? and Well, yeah, I mean, t- I mean, to speak to the humor, the thing that I like most about watching it is I can tell that Justin Lin and I have a lot of the same cultural touchstones, like a lot of the same things that seem to tickle his funny bone, even if they're not necessarily... Executed particularly well, still made me laugh because I'm like, oh, I get, I get what you're going for here. You know, I, I watch that too. I get, I get you. I get you. Uh, you know, and it's like, you know, so it's good. It, you know, it's good for a chuckle. I mean, I, I think if the movie suffers from anything, but it's inevitable with a movie like this sometimes, like to compare and contrast to what Christopher Guest, you know, did, I think that you're right. This is more like Spinal Tap because Spinal Tap's a little more free form. So the the later Christopher Guest movies have more of like a narrative through line than that one. But even Spinal Tap, it, it still has a structure to it of, you know, telling a story point A to point B to point C. Whereas this is more, this literally is just throwing a bunch of ideas together. And it's like, well, we know what the ending is and we know what our premise is. And we'll just sort of go around and, and get there. And so, you know, like uh, Sung Kang, his... You know, the Cole Kim storyline is act, actually very well, you know, uh, thought out, very, very uh, uh, clear. Um, and even the Troy Poon storyline is very clear. But there are other storylines where it's kind of they wind up uh, either not resolving completely or just not being very uh, satisfying in yeah. the way that they're act- like they, they should have been like a one or two scene background scene sort of gag. As opposed to, um, I'm trying to remember the character name right now, but um, the guy that was, uh, gosh, uh, uh, what was his name? Um, Tarek Tyler. Uh, Michaela Burnett plays him. Tarek Tyler, funny background uh, character, but to give him his own like, uh, you know, plot line of detailing his background that much, you know, it felt like uh, it just never fully formed. You know, so it's that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, um, just to go back to something which you you, you kind of touched, well, we we were kind of touching on, but like the difference between this is Spinal Tap and and Christopher Guest's other movies. I think this is something which has always struck me since you know the first time that I saw Spinal Tap and and uh, and then his other movies. It that's the one that's directed by Rob Reiner where Guest directed the other ones himself and uh, it's also the first one and I think the thing that I'm going to say Reiner brought to it that Guest is kind of like, screw it, I don't care, is um, there's a believability to the aesthetic in This Is Spinal Tap. There's a story reason for it. They're making a documentary, Mm -hmm. and everything uh, that you see is stuff that you would see in this documentary, whereas uh, with with the other Christopher Guest movies, he's kind of like, who cares? And there will be moments where there's clearly no reason for a camera to be there, and it almost isn't really a mockumentary anymore. It's just something which is kind of done in this style almost mm. half-heartedly. And that's something which always bothered me about the guest movies, which which I think, you know, they kind of nailed in Spinal Tap. And I think it's one of the reasons why Spinal Tap tends to be better than, than the other ones. I I think that's a fair
1: criticism. Sure.
0: And I think that, that Lynn adopts the Spinal Tap, um, you know, ideology here. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's very much you know sort of like interviewing people and everything like that, and you know the cameras are all in places where they would naturally be, and I, I think that that's kind of cool. Um, the other thing which I think is is really good about this movie is that it's short. You know, I yes. think <laughs> it's it's like I an agree. hour and twenty four minutes long, and I think that that's uh, necessary to this working because it could
1: easily yeah. overstay its welcome.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm definitely in the same camp as uh, I think as Barry Sonnenfeld said his rule of comedy was keep it really short. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, you know, the joke can't get old if it's over in an hour and 24 minutes, even even if, uh, you know, honestly, uh, the parts that that didn't work too well for me. I know that the running time is less than an hour and a half. I'm willing to stick it out more. You know, like if something's not working, I'm like, "Ah, I'm pretty sure we're going to move on from this in a minute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a rule in general. I mean, comedy, drama, whatever, you know, if the shorter, the better, you know, if if you can't be good, you can at the very least be short. You know, I, I, yeah. I love Max's theory about, you know, like the, the quality of movies based on time. And it's like, you know, quality, you know, you could say, I mean, this has been said a million times before, like quality is, you know, impact over time. Right. So mm. he says that the best movie ever will be two frames long because if it's just one frame, then it's not a motion picture. It's just a picture. Right. So it's two yeah. frames long and everyone
1: who sees it will turn into God. Very interesting. I, Very, that, I think that uh, I have to announce spoiler alert. You just spoiled the plot of Indiana Jones five. <laughs> so well done excellent they've got david cap writing it right now (laughs) (laughs) ah so it'll be two frames okay well i don't know i don't know if it'll be the golden ticket to the good end but okay sure yeah anyway i'm happy with david cap
0: writing this movie i'm happy with indiana jones 5 i I got
1: i got no problem with them
0: yeah i got no problem with them um so yeah so so finishing the game (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's 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 decent. It works well, you know. I think there are like some bits in it which are really good, like you're saying the the stuff with uh, Sung Kang is is really good. You know, I, it's it's a decent movie. You know, is it is it at the level yeah. of you know Christopher Guest or or whatever? No, not quite. No,
1: but but at but at the same token, I will say that simply for the because I, I don't want to spoil. We we said George Takei's in it, but. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil his appearance, yeah. Because his appearance, if 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 you grew up in the days of rabbit ears before <laughs> uh, cable television and you had the UHF channels that that showed you know the 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 Hong Kong action movies, his appearance in this movie is so spot on, perfect, yeah. That like it's it literally had me giggling the whole time because I was like, yay, yep, yep. That's
0: really cool. <laughs> Yeah, and it's cool. He's he's worked with both Sulu's already. You know, at this point, we're four <laughs> movies right. in. He's already worked with both Sulu's. There you go. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, the other thing which I think is really interesting about this movie, and we've kind of seen a little bit of, of this uh, so far, is Lin's versatility as a director. Mm. You know, I mean, he's known for making Fast and Furious movies, and he's made four of these things, which is crazy and because of that i mean it's definitely sort of like weighted his filmography in a certain direction you know like sure he's known for doing like just this and it's like is he stuck in a rut you know what is it but you look at everything else that he's done not just the features but okay we've already seen better luck tomorrow and you could say well that's a stepping Mm -hmm. stone you know okay fine you could say the same thing about annapolis but finishing the game That's not a stepping stone to anywhere, you know? It's just a completely different thing, and he's exercising completely different muscles in order to make a completely different movie, which I think is really cool.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's keeping his skills sharp. Like stuff that he can't get away with trying on a bigger budget thing, he can have a little fun and play around with, you you know, different whatever that he wants to play around with and figure out something that he might be able to apply, uh, you know, down the line. I mean, honestly, this isn't to make too much of this movie, but, like, I'll be interested when we move on, you know, to the next movies to see if there's anything visible that maybe he carries forward, that, like, something, some position or trick or way that the camera treats a subject that you see in a later Fast and Furious movie. You know, like mm-hmm. if there's a scene that plays out a certain way and be like, oh, I see. I see where he figured out how to do that yeah. That sort of thing.
0: But but even even, you know, without that, without saying like, well, you know, maybe he, he he'll apply stuff to other things, which he's, you know, kind of like more that are more in his wheelhouse in a sense. It it just kind of shows that he has like a broad knowledge of film mm-hmm. and, you know, on every sort of level and that, you know, he. You know, like, you, you look at, um, did you see
1: uh, Pain and Gain, Michael Bay's movie? No. I have always wanted to, though, because I've, I've actually heard that it's good thing, like, good things about it where people are like, you can tell that he's, he's more relaxed and having more fun during it than, yeah. like, Transformers or something like that.
0: I mean, it really is like if Michael Bay decided to direct, like, a Coen Brothers movie you know that's that's kind of what it's like and and it's it's a good movie but at the same time it is michael bay through and through i mean no matter what movie he makes Hmm. it doesn't matter if he's got robots or or bad boys or you know um benghazi or pain and gain it's you're like that's Michael Bay I remember like sitting in a movie theater and there was a Chevy commercial and I'm like Michael Bay totally directed that and I looked it up and sure enough (laughs) yeah yeah, he directed it because he does one thing really well right whereas like Justin Lin like there's no way you can look at this movie aside from like the other people involved on screen and say like oh that's totally from the director of you know Fast and Furious
1: you know right you know what it's funny that you mentioned that because I finally saw Point Break recently yeah yeah and uh man that movie's terrible (laughs) yeah I'm with you uh, on that one I'm sorry (laughs) but what's funny is what I noticed while I was watching it and I kind of curse you because I'm pretty sure this is your influence but um to to speak to your point like with Catherine Bigelow I could start to see certain um I'll probably butcher the terminology but I could see certain filters creeping in in certain shots where I was like oh I see it ah yeah I know this is coming back (laughs) You know, because see, I've seen Hurt Locker. I know you're going to use this, you know, whatever, color saturation in that type of shot, too. <laughs> I got gotcha, you. I'm on to you. Yep, yep.
0: And and the Lynn doesn't do that. And, I mean, yeah. you can see, like, g- going beyond his movies to, like, other stuff that he's done, like, for television and stuff like that. I mean, the, the two, you know, really – I mean, he did the pilot for Scorpion, which I haven't watched yet. Uh, no. But But the other two, the two big ones in my mind are – You know, he directed an episode or a couple episodes of True Detective and he directed a few episodes of Community. And, like, you look at those episodes, you know there's nothing in the true detective stuff, which has any sort of correlation to anything that we're seeing in fast and furious. It's not Mm -hmm. true detective Tokyo drift, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) although that's another show that we need to see. I mean, I would watch that in a heartbeat, no doubt, (laughs) but it's very much, you know, just like, and, and it's not even like season one of true detective. It's his own thing. He's coming up with his own style, but he's like, this is the best way to tell this story. Whereas like, I guess to speak to the other point that you were making about like seeing how he takes what he's learned and brings it to other stuff. I mean, community, do you watch community or have you seen it? Or
1: I know the, the unfortunate thing is apparently I tapped out too early cause I, <laughs> I tried it in the first season and yeah. like by halfway through I was like that's entirely too much Chevy Chase in my life. No, I I did the
0: exact same thing and I've only gone back since this whole Justin Lin um situation has occurred to kind of see what was up and he did the the first paintball episode and you watch it and it is amazing because it is like like that does look like an episode of Community from the director of Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> awesome. It is, I mean, you you watch it and you're like, "This is some of the best like action choreography, like gun battles, like John Woo style action sequences that you'll ever see." And it's on a sitcom, and it's at a community college uh, <laughs> with a bunch of people with paintball guns. You know? Yeah. But he treats it. Just like he would a fast and furious movie with like that much sincerity, and it's something which you normally don't see and stuff like that and it it's it's amazing you have to see it it's it's great okay okay um but yeah uh you know he he's he's he does that he's he's very versatile, and that's why you know I think a lot of people kind of got scared when he was announced as the director of Star Trek Beyond because they were like, all they knew were Fast and Furious movies. And that's all that I knew too. But yeah, I mean, there, there were some people who were like, great, great, you know, because you know, Fast and Furious, is all about family and you know, all this stuff. And he's got like a good action. Se- but there are other people who were just like, it's cars, it's cars going fast. This is what is, you know, Star Trek is about much more than that. And this guy is going to just make it a big action sequence. And,
1: no he's going to make it exactly what it needs to be you know what i'm glad you brought up the star trek thing because this was another thought that i had while i was watching it is that and and this was something that um i think in tokyo drift that that is there as well where you know the juxtaposition of taking um you know the the white kid and dropping him in as a minority in japan gives a real lens to the audience that might not understand what it's like to be a minority right mm-hmm. To to experience that, and you sort of like like it, it's eye opening in a sense when you really think about it, where you're like, oh wow, that's really disorienting, and that that is weird, and you know you feel disconnected, and you you can sort of understand what maybe the movie is subtextually sneaking in there as a message, which is what I think latter day Star Trek, and please I I adore Star Trek, I love Star Trek, but some of where it lost its way a little bit in the, in the latter days has been that it It lost its sense of subtlety about its message. Mm -hmm. And I think even looking at this, at finishing the game, Lynn is making some commentary here about, you know, the Asian-American experience as seen through the filter of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially at like a pivotal time when like Bruce Lee was, you know, uh, opening doors for people and stuff like that. But showing, you know, what had to be dealt with without bludgeoning you with it it's something where he's inviting you to laugh and while you're you know laughing along with the joke you're also getting the experience of oh yeah oh that is yeah that's kind of weird yeah oh wow you know so like i and i think that that sense of subtlety is is going to be a welcome addition cuz i you know to to speak to what you just said about you know fast and furious is about you know people who aren't blood related, who are nonetheless family sticking together through difficult circumstances. Yeah. But you also have, you know, somebody who has a very apparent knack for getting a message in without being heavy handed about it. And I think that's a very good thing to bring back to star Trek.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. Yeah. So any final thoughts on uh, finishing the game?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I, it wouldn't hurt. It's eighty-four minutes. It's go ahead and, and give it a spin. Get it's a feel Only three for bucks it. on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. you know there, there are worse ways to spend an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's it's not you know some sort of transcend, transcendent uh, filmmaking experience or or whatever film going experience, but it is sort of an interesting um, look into. The psyche of Justin Lin and sort of what makes him tick, as as a filmmaker, you know, um, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of interesting to see. Something that sometimes can get lost in these big epics.
1: And, and as one final note, I did look up the tomato meter reading mm-hmm. on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got like a thirty three percent. And just like Annapolis, I am like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not. This isn't going to make it To like my top ten list of, of anything, but that's pretty harsh, guys. <laughs> like. You know, you yeah. don't have to be that mean to it. Yeah, what can you do? You know. No, I don't know.
0: All right. Um, before we go, there's one little bit of uh creator news, I guess, uh which which we thought was kinda cool. Um there is a new art exhibit which is going to uh be popping up uh later this year. It's called Star Trek Fifty Artists Fifty Years and it's going to be a um exhibit of 50 pieces of art, you know, whether it's 3D art or paintings or photography or whatever, and it's going to be touring around the country. It's going to start um at the San Diego Comic-Con and then make its way through various uh places. And um, end up at at various places like Las Vegas uh, for the Star Trek convention and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's kind of a cool idea. Certainly something which has been done lots of times before at uh you know various conventions you know like you got the the Star Wars conventions with the Darth Vader helmets or whatever which yeah. are painted by various people but one of the things which is really cool about this is that one of the pieces of art is um by Leonard Nimoy uh, apparently i've read in some places it's his his final um piece of art and it's a it's a photographic piece and uh, that's pretty cool, if you ask me, you know?
1: It is neat uh, because, it, you know, uh, it is um, fairly Warhol-esque mm-hmm. in its treatment of the subject. But at the same time, there's, uh, you know, uh, a couple of subtle Star Trek allusions beyond the subject matter that it are kind of neat to notice. So no spoilers on the artwork. Uh, although, although I will say that there is, there are at least two of these where if they make them into posters, it's, it's going to be mighty tempting to buy them. So, uh, open up your wallets. <laughs>
0: well, it does say here, um, it, well, you can find all the info, I guess, at, uh, star trek 50 art.com. That's five zero, but it says here, following the San Diego premiere, uh, the exhibit will beam to Star Trek Las Vegas in August and the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto from mid-August to early September before heading to the UK for Destination Star Trek Europe in October and continuing its worldwide tour through August 2017. And then it says beyond the exhibit itself, the artwork featured in, in the exhibit will be represented in consumer products uh, that will be available at retail following its debut in July. Elements will include an eye-catching coffee table book and calendars. And, uh, of course, you can already pre-order them on Amazon, as well as trading cards, apparel, accessories, glassware, posters, stationery, and prints. So there you go. Sold. (laughs) All right. Well... It's been fun talking about finishing the game today. But that's not all we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <coughs> You've heard Chief Trip sign on. Uh, I'm serious, Ken. Actually, out of the chair, please. Okay, okay. God. <laughs> I guess the Commodore has the con! <laughs> Earl Grey. Did you really write down Groppler Zorn on
0: this list? <laughs> I was just kidding. This is before he achieved Groppler rank. <laughs> he was only a soplar. He wasn't a Groppler.
1: What fruit did he like before he got to apples? <laughs>
0: the orb. I want to hear Worf give a command sometime like, One quarter ramming speed. And then <laughs> yes. someone says, Captain, Regulation specifically states that we cannot go at one quarter ramming speed while we are in orbit of a planet.
1: (laughs) The Ready Room.
0: To what extent is this episode, uh, you know, the, the writers and producers of Deep Space Nine turning the mirror back at the fans? You know, I mean, I think all of us Star Trek fans, at one point or another, probably retreat into this universe we love, Star Trek, that is, it's a fictional world. What are you talking we were, about, Zachary? Are the, you, you suggesting that like fans yeah. might decide to buy microphones and like talk about
1: it like <laughs> it's real? For hours on end. To the journey! Next one in line is Spirit Folk, and we already agreed that that is just not necessary for anybody, and let's not torture them with it. Good, let's move on. The characters in the Fairhaven Hollow program begin to suspect <laughs> the Voyager crew after they witness several supernatural occurrences. Commentary Trek Stars.
0: Tokyo Drift really is the perfect subtitle. Like, you could literally put Tokyo Drift onto the end of any movie, and it would instantaneously become a movie that you would have to see. Citizen Kane, Tokyo Drift. The
1: 602 Club.
0: I hate it when shows that are grounded in reality, but obviously they're not, and they have their characters go through socially important uh, experiences.
1: Literary Treks. It is very much every one of the characters, you know, who, who finds themselves sort of pulled into the conflict that's at the heart of this story. They are reacting to a fear of the other. Meta Trex.
0: I'd love to answer your question, but I can't get the uh, visual image out of my mind of <laughs> B. Arthur and Betty White in Starfleet mini skirts and go-go boots. I can totally picture the golden girls as Klingons.
1: <laughs> you- Melodic Treks. What I decided to do was not only would I pick a six degree of separation, not only would I do it musically, but I was only going to do movies that were composed by people who had composed for Star Trek. Saturday Morning Trek. Dorothy had a little bit of a fit with the uh, animators. They had said over and over again there is no moon in the Vulcan sky. I think it was like the first episode that aired of the original series when they mentioned this because Uhura walks up to Spock and she's like tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me that I would look good in your moon. And he's like Vulcan has no moon. I'm not surprised. (laughs) That is an uncanny Uhura. Continuing mission.
0: Yeah and of course another great thing is when it's it's all finished and you look at it and go, yeah, we made that together. Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest moments. And people respond to it and say, oh, that's that's pretty well made. The effects are great. The actors are, are great, uh, even though they're Dutch trying to speak English, right?
1: <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day. And, and if you, you, you're you an Apple user, you can find them on iTunes, Uh Hit the subscribe button. That helps us out a lot. Uh, If you're not on on Apple, uh, we've got you covered as well. You can find them on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and you can stream and download them right from our website and get the RSS link as well. Uh, If you want to help us out, you can go to our Redbubble store. Uh, There's a link over there on Trek.fm, and you can uh, buy some of the art by uh, our favorite Star Trek artist, Aaron Harvey. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, help us out with some t-shirts and whatnot.
1: I mean, how can you go wrong? I actually, I really, there are a couple of these that are really nice. If you haven't had a chance to go over, you should check them out.
0: Yeah, I, I, I dig... Aaron's style and I'm not just saying that because I want him to do a Citizen Kane of podcasts t-shirt I really do love the sort of like <laughs> minimalist I mean like if you look at the art that I, I've i bought from like Artist's Alley and stuff at conventions and everything which is yeah. you know like hanging up on my walls and stuff it's it's very much in that sort of Aaron Harvey aesthetic you know that kind of like
1: vector yeah. art thing it's,
0: it's a cool style I, I dig it
1: Well, honestly, uh, uh, right now, my personal favorite uh, design in there actually is Ninja Cat. Big fan of Ninja Cat. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Another way that you can help us out is by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. And you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and of course, you know, the patrons roundtable, which is everyone's favorite, where you can uh, get in on the fun and do some podcasting of your own. So... Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo dot com slash trekfm, and you can get all the, the details there and help us out. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm contact, and that sends an email to us, uh, or you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Uh, you can find the network on Twitter at Trek FM, or you can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash FM. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field or go to our website at trek.fm and click on the discussion tab on the menu bar. The Babel Conference is our listener forum where you can talk about all sorts of things like finishing the game or this art exhibit or, uh the fact that Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan is coming out in 4K HDR both theatrical and extended editions
1: That's the seller right there the extended edition of Star Trek 2. you see must own
0: Now this is the thing this is the thing okay yeah like a year ago they were like, oh, extended editions of Star Trek 2 and 6 available in HD on iTunes. And I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm going to get that. And then, (laughs) you know, Drew and and other people on the Babel conference were like, oh, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And I Mm -hmm. hope the transfer is okay. I don't know. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to get it regardless because it's going to be the best transfer that's out there. And they're like, oh, we'll get it and then let us know what it looks like. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to buy that until I'm actually going to watch the movie because you know what's going to happen. I'm going to buy it. And then like a week (laughs) later, you know, they're going to release it on Blu-ray, like, remastered in 4K or something. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, ha, 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 ha. So anyway, mm-hmm. hadn't seen the movie for a really long time. And then I was showing it to my, my family, my parents, and I'm like, now's the time. Now's the time, which I will buy Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, in HD, director's cut. And I bought it, and I watched it, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And three weeks later... <laughs> the impossible happened. Uh-huh. They announced as coming out on Blu ray in a fully remastered thing. And I'm like, yep, yep, yep,
1: yep. Anyway, what were we talking mm-hmm. about? We were talking about yay. The Babel Clock, 4K, <laughs> UH, whatever. Yeah,
0: to go to the Babel Conference and we can discuss this further.
1: Yes. <laughs> Where can people find you, John? Oh, goodness. Where can't they find me, Mike? Uh, Kessel Junkie on Twitter, and I am also on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig, and aggressive negotiations with Trek FM's own Matthew Rushing, where we talk about Star Wars stuff.
0: Yeah, I just got into a debate with uh, the aggressive negotiations Twitter feed today about uh, whether Rebels... Oh, that wasn't a debate, Mike. You were were uh,
1: advertising your incorrect opinions on things. Whatever. But we appreciate that. I had people backing me up. By the
0: way, I'm not the weird one (laughs) here. You're the only person who doesn't think that Blade Two is awesome.
1: No, I'm not. I am not the only person. I can pull at least 10 people out of my phone book right now. Or, wow, that's an old (laughs) man term. Out of my, my address book. Whatever. I know at least 10 people that disliked it as much as... I know people that disliked it more than I did. I at least can see what uh, Del Toro used to to make the excellent Strain uh, series. Okay. Uh, But
0: anyway. Blade Two on Rotten Tomatoes. Just checking Uh, right here to mm -hmm. see... Mm-hmm. Wow, only fifty-seven percent.
1: What's wrong only, with people? Only people you are mean there's insane. More
0: people there, that dislike
1: it than you thought.
0: Maybe I'm looking. at, I don't know. Maybe it's from. Growing. <laughs> I mean, didn't like Ebert give it like three and a half stars and stuff. I mean, that movie is clearly whatever. It's Del Toro's best movie. You're but wrong.
1: Whatever. You're wrong. But where can they find you <sighs> online so they can tell you you're wrong about Blade Two, Mike? Uh, you can find me
0: uh, right here on Trek FM. Producing from there to here, uh, yeah. Trek FM's fiftieth anniversary rewatch of of Star Trek, where we look at all 729 episodes of the show over the course of the year. And you can also uh, find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Indeed. All right. So from here on out, this is basically going to become a Fast and Furious podcast. Yes. We we are only talking about Fast and Furious movies from now until the end of the show. And uh, yeah, we're in the final five. It's exciting.
1: It's been a long road. Getting from there to here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) next
0: week, we're going to talk about the fourth Fast and Furious movie Fast and Furious.